Good morning, welcome to Theological Equipping. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, My name is Jared Lawson. I'm the pastoral resident here at Parkway. Uh, This morning, we're gonna be talking about Mormonism. So we've been studying apologetics this semester and then we've pivoted a little bit to world religions over the past few weeks. So we'll be landing on the religion or the cult rather of Mormonism. And it's probably, uh, compared to the other religions that we're going to be talking about, one that's most familiar to you. Uh, There's a Mormon church uh, less than a mile from my house. Uh, They're all around us, especially here in the South. And one of the unique things about Mormonism uh, compared to Islam or Hinduism is that they claim to be Christian. In fact, there's a great deal of social pressure uh, for Christians to just say that Mormonism is another Christian denomination. And there's a major effort from within Mormonism to downplay any differences between Mormons and Christians and to really, really emphasize uh, seeming uh, similarities. Uh, And if you really look at the scriptures, the things that the scriptures warn us about, the scriptures don't spend a whole lot of time just naming all the world religions that there are and saying, don't follow those. They'll simply just say, follow God. But the majority of the scriptural warnings that we get, especially in the New Testament, is about false teachers rising up from within Christianity and leading people astray with false doctrine. Let me just read you a a few passages and I could read you dozens and dozens. Matthew 7, this is Jesus talking. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Galatians 1, 8 through 9, this is Paul talking. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. 2 Corinthians 11, if someone comes to you and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you accept a different gospel from the one that you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. For such men are false prophets, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise that his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So the scriptures take this incredibly seriously, this idea that false prophets are going to rise up from within Christianity, claiming to be Christian and then attempt to lead the people of God astray. And this morning we'll see how Joseph Smith and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints checks all of these boxes. So my goal uh, for the teaching this morning is primarily to protect you from heresy. This is not a talk uh, on how to best evangelize to Mormons. You will not find this talk helpful if you're looking for evangelistic strategies. My goal is to protect you from heresy. I would speak much differently if I was actually evangelizing uh, to a Mormon. Paul speaks uh, differently to the men of Athens in Acts 17 who don't know God than he does when he's battling off false teaching in Galatians. So I'm protecting, my goal is to protect uh, the church from heresy this morning. So simply what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at an overview of Mormonism, the history of Mormonism, uh, look at their so-called restored gospel, and then see what our response is to Mormonism. So let's jump right into the history. One thing that you have to understand to really 
get a grasp on what's happening uh, in the rise of Mormonism is to understand the 19th century religious context. So to say it plainly, the 19th century is when all the bad stuff happens. Okay, so the high view of theology that existed with the Puritans and with Jonathan Edwards and the First Great Awakening, those days are gone. Now we have the Second Great Awakening, which was largely bad. They would hold these tent meetings that were just a mess. They were uh, emotions-based, they were works-based, they were focused on how bad you could feel about your sin. Uh, there was horrible theology that came from the Second Great Awakening. They had horrible leaders. Uh, Charles Finney, the main figure, was Pelagian in his theology. They're sending out untrained missionaries who are converted and then sent out a couple days later. Missionaries used to go to seminary and be trained theologically before they would go preach the gospel, not so in the 19th century. And because of this low view of theology, we get some of the worst cults and some of the most harmful denominations arise during this century. We see Mormonism show up, Jehovah's Witnesses shows up during this century, uh, Christian science shows up during this century. Uh, there's tons of movements of uh, different leaders predicting end times dates and things like that, like Seventh-day Adventists and the Millerites. Uh, a lot of harmful denominations emerge, and even the good denominations uh, have some of the worst theological drifts during this century. Baptists, for instance, largely drift towards Arminianism in the 19th century. Uh, we get really bad theological developments like uh, dispensationalism or the doctrine of Christian perfectionism, this idea that we can become perfect this side of eternity. So that's the 19th century religious context and that is what Mormonism rises out of. So Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, was born two days before Christmas, 1805, just to give you an idea. Thomas Jefferson was president. Uh, we had just made the Louisiana Purchase two years before, and Lewis and Clark, about a month before uh, Joseph Smith's birth, had reached the Pacific Ocean. So that's what's happening in the world. And as Joseph Smith grows up and he becomes a teenager, he actually attends a few of the Second Great Awakening uh, revival meetings, and he becomes incredibly frustrated because the preachers, rather than preaching the gospel, are simply just denouncing other denominations. And Joseph Smith wants to know, which denomination should I join? And he said there was so much confusion that it was impossible to know who was right or wrong. So he's 14 around this point. So he goes and he gets his Bible and he reads James 1.5, which says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God and it will be given to him. And he interprets this to mean, oh, he can just pray to God and God will tell him what denomination he is to join. So he goes into the woods and prays, and this is when he claims to have his first vision of God the Father and Jesus appear to him, and Jesus answers his prayer by saying, you should join none of them. They've all become corrupt. All their creeds are an abomination in my sight. All their creeds are an abomination in my sight. The Christian church is corrupt. Don't let that go by you too quickly. Realize what Jesus uh, is supposedly saying to Joseph Smith. All their creeds are an abomination. That includes uh, the Nicene Creed, uh, where we get our articulation of the doctrine of the Trinity, that the Son is just as much God as the Father is God. He's, he's God in the same way. We have one God. We have three persons of the Trinity. Uh, the Council of Chalcedon that says Jesus is the eternal God, the Son, who became man fully while remaining God. That's apparently an abomination in God's sight. 
Council of Constantinople that says that Jesus truly died as a man in his humanity on the cross. That's apparently an abomination. All the Reformation creeds and confessions that say uh, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, that's apparently uh, an abomination in the sight of God according to Joseph Smith. So we see from its very inception, Mormonism is a rejection of the very foundation of the Christian faith. The very foundation, the theological foundation that we stand on is being completely rejected here by Joseph Smith here at the age of 14. So never mind the fact that the Bible says no one's ever seen God. Apparently Joseph Smith sees the Father. Never mind the fact that Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. Apparently they have and the church has become corrupted in this vision that Joseph Smith has. So he has this first vision, then three years later at the age of 17, he has another vision of an angel named Moroni who comes to him and tells him that there are golden plates buried near his home with the ancient record of uh, the inhabitants of America on them and he has been chosen to translate these golden plates into what will become the Book of Mormon. So Joseph Smith goes and he digs and he finds these golden uh, plates. But Moroni, the angel, commands him, you're not allowed to show anybody these plates. So Joseph Smith begins his process of translation. How does he uh, translate? He takes the golden plates, puts them in a hat, puts a seer stone in the hat as well that's supposedly going to change the ancient uh, inscriptions into English. Then he would put his face in the hat as well and he would just dictate to a scribe what was uh, written on the golden plates. His wife was a scribe uh, of his, uh, another scribe was a rich neighbor named Martin Harris. So they begin uh, to write down what Joseph Smith is saying to them. Martin Harris actually has some doubts and so what he does is he takes the first 160 pages, uh, the only copy that they had of the Book of Mormon, takes it home to his wife. His wife hides those uh, and says, uh, if, if Joseph Smith is truly from God, go back to him, tell them that you lost them and he'll be able to reproduce them. So Martin Harris goes back, tells him he loses uh, the translation. Joseph Smith becomes very angry, goes and prays, and God apparently tells him that he's in trouble, he wasn't supposed to show anybody the plates, so those plates are actually taken away, and now he's going to receive new plates from God. So, shocker, he's not able to reproduce, rather he gets a newer revelation on newer plates. So uh, he finishes his translation in about three years. The angel Moroni conveniently takes the plates back after that and the Book of Mormon is published in 1830. So again, besides the fact that Paul says, even if an angel comes to you and brings you a different gospel, let him be accursed. Joseph Smith hears a message from an angel and translates what is called another testament of Jesus Christ, the Book of Mormon. Just to give you a little overview, uh, the Book of Mormon uh, is is the most sacred text in Mormonism. Joseph Smith said it's more correct than the Bible. It's actually the most correct book on earth, according to Joseph Smith, which is ironic because it has literally gone through thousands of edits and changes since Joseph Smith's day. Uh, Just to give you an overview of the story that covers, uh, begins with a prophet in Jerusalem named Lehi around 600 BC, so it makes him a contemporary of Jeremiah, and Lehi has a vision that Babylon is going to come and destroy Jerusalem, and so he and his family flee to the Arabian Sea, and even though Israelites are very notoriously terrified of water, he builds boats, sails south through the Arabian Sea, and sails east across the Pacific 
ocean and lands in the Americas. And after they land there, his, his family splits. There's some fights. And so they split into two groups called the Nephites and the Lamanites. The Nephites are the good guys. Lamanites are kind of the bad guys of the story. And they're continually at war. That's a lot of Book of Mormon. It's just the wars and the fights. Uh, and so several hundred years later, according to the Book of Mormon, Jesus, after his ascension in Jerusalem, comes back to the Americas. He descends to the Nephites. He begins to preach the Mormon gospel to the Nephites. He establishes the Mormon church uh, to the Nephites, but the Lamanites eventually kill all of the Nephites as they continually go to war. So the Book of Mormon teaches that the Lamanites, the only ones who are left, are the primary ancestors of the American Indians. So if you've ever wondered where Native Americans are from, they're from Jerusalem. They're uh, Jews, obviously. Uh, And because Lamanites uh, kill the Nephites, they're cursed by God. According to the Book of Mormon, they're cursed with the skin of blackness. Yikes. Um, And uh, the Book of Mormon also says, if the dark-skinned people repent, they shall become white and delightsome people. That was actually later changed to pure and delightsome people to not appear so racist. Uh, So that is the Book of Mormon. Uh, They have other sacred texts as well. The Bible, any Christian group, any group that claims Christianity has to do something with the Bible. And so Mormons have to do something with the Bible as well. And so like most groups, they'll use uh, verses out of context to support their doctrine. For instance, they'll say uh, John 10, 16, where Jesus says, uh, I have other sheep who are not of this fold uh, that I must bring also. They use that to say, uh, he's talking about the Nephites in America. That's why he descends after his uh, ascension in the Americas. And then discrediting passages, passages that seem to speak against Mormonism, they will just kind of uh, discredit. How do they do that? Well, they simply just say, Scripture's been taken away from throughout the years. This is what the Book of Mormon says about the Bible. The book, the Bible, has gone forth through thousands of, of hands in the great and abominable church, and many plain and precious things have been taken away. So this is a big mark of cult leaders is they have to undermine the authority and the trustworthiness of the scriptures. And so Joseph Smith is gonna fix this problem. Uh, he's simply going to revise, retranslate the Bible. Uh, but he doesn't do this by looking at the original languages, the Hebrew or the Greek because he doesn't know them. And so he takes the King James Version uh, and basically reads through it and he said that anything that didn't make sense or anything that seemed inconsistent, he just simply revises. So this is what the Mormon Church says. As guided by the Holy Spirit, Joseph Smith spent about three years going through the Bible, making thousands of corrections to the text and restoring information that had been lost. This restored information sheds marvelous light on the many doctrines that are not clearly presented in the Bible as it exists today. The Mormon Articles of Faith says, uh, the Bible is the word of God, quote, as far as it is translated correctly. So if Mormon missionaries come to your door and you pull out your ESV uh, Bible and show them why Mormonism is inconsistent with the scriptures, they can just simply say, well, that's not translated correctly. So that's, that's the Bible. They have two more sacred texts, one called the Doctrine and Covenants, which is largely just a collection of Joseph Smith's prophecies, and then something called the Pearl of Great Price, which again is a collection of different written works by Joseph Smith. So uh, the Book of Mormon is published in 1830, and soon after that, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints 
is formed. That is actually the official name. That's what you'll see if you drive by a Mormon church. You'll see that on the sign. Mormons is kind of a shorthand, but I'll use that just for the sake of time. I'll use the, the term Mormons. Smith was already beginning to gain followers as he was translating. And then, of course, once the Book of Mormon is published, uh, the church just grows more and more. Smith begins to preach, at this time, the restored gospel, what he calls the restored gospel. He said that total apostasy overcame the Christian church after the first century, but now the Mormon church is the restored church. Uh, Mormons teaches, quote, the Latter-day Saints do not accept the Christ that emerges from centuries of debates and councils and creeds. So you know that Jesus that's eternally God that became man in the incarnation while remaining God and truly died for our sins? We don't accept him. He's a product of the corrupt church. So the true gospel and the true church was lost from the earth, and now Joseph Smith is here to restore the true gospel and the true church. Again, this is a huge hallmark of cult leaders. The church has become corrupted. It's an abomination. The scriptures have become uh, become corrupted and taken away from. The gospel has been lost, and now I am the one who's going to restore the gospel. Joseph Smith made uh, several large claims of his own authority. He claimed that John the Baptist actually appeared to him and ordained him to preach the true gospel and to restore the true church that had been lost. He claimed that Peter, James, and John appeared to him and ordained him with apostolic and prophetic authority. Uh, So Joseph Smith and then future leaders of the Mormon church speak as God's prophets or apostles. They speak as Moses or Jeremiah or Paul. They speak with that sort of authority. So don't think it's like Zach or Jeff preaching where their uh, authority is based on the Bible's authority, right? Zach and Jeff get stuff wrong all the time. It's crazy. They get stuff wrong all the time, but not so with Joseph Smith. He's speaking on behalf of God. He also didn't take very kindly when people challenged his authority. Uh, Several of his assistants throughout the years claimed to have revelations from God as well. And soon after that, Joseph Smith had a revelation that only he was allowed to have revelations from God. Uh, He was very quick to excommunicate anyone who challenged him. Uh, Dozens and dozens of his closest advisors, virtually every right-hand man for two decades was kicked out of the church or left. Uh, Even his wife, Emma, when polygamy kind of started up. She wasn't a fan of that for some reason. Uh, But soon after, Joseph Smith has a revelation where God commanded her to accept polygamy. Just a note on uh, how polygamy began. Joseph Smith uh, simply prayed and asked God, uh, God, Abraham and Jacob and David, all these guys, they have so many wives. How is that possible? And God simply responded, I commanded them to. I commanded them to be polygamous and now that practice should be restored. And so we don't know the exact number of wives that Joseph Smith had. 49 different women claimed to be his wife, but the best estimates are around 27. Uh, The oldest on record is 56 years old. The youngest was 14 years old. Uh, And later in the 1860s, polygamy is officially outlawed by the U.S. and Mormons refuse to stop. And so the U.S. government is literally arresting Mormons uh, who practice polygamy, seizing church assets, and they pass an act where they can literally dissolve the whole church. And so just around this time, the leading president of of Mormonism, uh, Wilford Woodruff, conveniently has a new revelation that God says polygamy should stop. Uh, which is a very common thing uh, in Mormonism. The state will outlaw something or uh, there'll be huge social pressure and then the leader will just have a new revelation that makes the church fall in line with those things. 
So the church begins to grow. They immediately send out missionaries and then they move from New York in search of the new Zion look where the, to look where the second coming is going to happen, where the millennial kingdom will be set up. And so they first settle in Kirkland, Ohio. Uh, when they get to Kirkland, Smith builds a temple that bankrupts the entire church and they actually have to flee Ohio because a warrant is issued for Smith's arrest for bank fraud. Then they move to Independence, Missouri, uh, and that's where Smith begins to preach that this is where the second coming is going to happen. This is where the new Zion, the new Jerusalem will be, in Independence, Missouri. And he also taught that that's where the Garden of Eden was. Independence, Missouri is where the Garden of Eden was. Jackson County, if you're curious. Uh, around this time, they continually get in conflicts with locals um, that don't like Mormons, and so they would get mob threats and things like that. And then Smith wants to fight back against anyone who is uh, unsympathetic to Mormonism, so they actually begin to militarize a little bit. But to be fair, he's just essentially doing what Jesus said, right? Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, build an army and fight back against those who persecute you. So he's just being biblical. Uh, and they're actually kicked out of Independence, Missouri, this new Zion. They lead a military campaign to retake the city, but that fails. And so they have to move to far west Missouri, where again, Joseph Smith conveniently has a new revelation that actually far west Missouri is going to be the new Zion. That's where the second uh, coming is going to happen. Uh, during this time, they also attack the Missouri state militia and actually get expelled from the entire state by the Missouri governor. Smith is arrested and charged with treason. So he's charged with bank fraud and now you can add treason to that list. But he escapes custody somehow and they flee to Nauvoo, Illinois. Illinois, Illinois. Uh, and that is where one of the biggest events in Mormon history happens. Smith, once he gets there, has a big falling out with two of his top advisors, William Law and Robert Foster. What was the falling out, you asked? Well, Smith proposed to their wives, which they didn't like for some reason, so they speak out against him, say that he is a fallen prophet. Smith didn't like that, so he kicks them out of the church which they didn't like, so they publish in the paper, in the local paper, that Smith uh, preaches uh, polytheism, multiple gods, and practices polygamy, which were both true, but not a popular thing to have said about you. So Smith, in retaliation, goes and destroys the printing press uh, that is, is at the local newspaper. He's put in jail, and later a mob actually breaks in and shoots and kills him. Smith somehow was smuggled a gun and he killed two of his assailants before he himself was shot. But he died on June 27, 1844 at the age of 39. So dies young. After his death, there's a couple splits, a bunch of people claiming to be his successors, but eventually people follow Brigham Young, who leads Mormons to Salt Lake City, Utah. That's how they end up in Utah. Brigham Young was an interesting guy. He had 55 wives, oldest was 65, youngest was 15. He had 59 children. Uh, he was very rich. He taught a lot of crazy things. He taught that every sermon he said was scripture. He said that you must participate in polygamy to be exalted unto salvation. He also taught a very controversial doctrine called blood atonement, which is the idea that if you leave the Mormon church, Christ's blood can no longer atone for your sins. Now you have to atone for your sins by the shedding of your own blood. So literally incentivizing Mormons that would love you if you leave the Mormon church to kill you so that you can still go 
to heaven. The idea was what's better, death in this life or death in eternity. So he promoted that doctrine. And under his leadership, Utah just prospers. The church grows tremendously. There's thousands of new converts made seemingly every day and they just begin to grow and grow and grow. So that's a bit of the early controversial history of the Mormon church. Today, there's a huge effort uh, to back away from or literally deny most of that controversial history, whether it's racism or polygamy or things like that. Uh, there's also a huge effort to downplay all the weird stuff. It's very, very difficult to get Mormons to admit what they actually believe. Uh, but today there's over 15 million Mormons and over 150 million copies of the Book of Mormon have been printed. So that is just a little bit of the history of Mormonism. Now let's look at this uh, restored gospel. Let's see what this is all about. So Joseph Smith claims that the gospel as you and I know it uh, is uh, an abomination, right? That's a, that's a creation of the corrupt church. So the gospel that says the infinite creator of the universe created out of nothing, the eternal God, the infinite God, the perfect God created us in his own image to reign and rule on his behalf, but we fell away and we are now bound to sin. So out of his love, he sends his son to live the perfect life that we couldn't live, to take the wrath of God in our behalf so that we might be brought back into eternal fellowship with him. That is an abomination. Let's get that out of here. So let's see, now Joseph Smith is bringing this restored gospel. Let's see what this is all about. Uh, so technically there's no beginning to the story in Mormonism. It kind of starts in the middle. The story starts with God who hasn't always been God. So the story starts out with God as a man, not God yet, as a man on another planet with another God over him. And by following the laws of that God, he is able to be exalted to Godhood. So God is a man that actually becomes God. Here's a quote from one of Smith's most famous sermons. God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. We have imagined that God was God for all eternity. I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. I am going to tell you how God came to be God. He was once a man like us. So God is a man that becomes God. And even after he becomes God, he's still physical. He's flesh and bone. He actually resides near a star called Kalab. So he's not omnipresent. He's physical. He's confined to a physical space. As he's exalted to God, he brings his many wives. He's a polygamist. He brings his many wives uh, to the heavenly realm with him who are said to be our heavenly mothers. Uh, that's later changed to he just brings one wife after polygamy was outlawed. The story gets edited just a little bit. So God is in the heavens. He's now he's a man that's been exalted to God and he creates uh, this universe. He creates this world from pre-existing chaotic matter. So he doesn't create out of nothing. And he gets to rule now over the world that he has created. So this is the goal in Mormonism. The goal of Mormonism is man being exalted to God and getting to rule over his own world that he creates. So notice how much deeper this goes than just saying Mormonism denies the Trinity. Notice how much deeper it goes. God isn't God in Mormonism. He is a man that is exalted to God. He hasn't always been God. He's not eternal. He's not infinite. He's not spirit. He changes over time. He's confined to space. He doesn't create out of nothing. There's more than one God, right? God has a God over him that he has, a, he has to follow. 
This is in no way the same as the Christian God. You'll hear people say who are either Mormons or sympathetic to Mormons, you know, we may disagree on some things, but at least we worship the same God. That is not true in any sense. They do not believe in the same God as Christianity. So God, this exalted man who's now the heavenly father and his many uh, heavenly wives, what do they do? They have a bunch of spirit children. They procreate and have a bunch of spirit children in the heavenly realm. The firstborn spirit child was Jesus. So Jesus isn't God. He's not eternal in Mormonism. Uh, So instead of being the creator of the universe, rather he's a product of sexual relations between the heavenly father and one of the heavenly mothers. So this is a kind of weird form of Arianism, right? Jesus isn't eternal. He's not of the same essence as the father, but at least Arius believed God, the father was God. So there is no trinity in Mormonism. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all separate gods. Uh, Smith, Joseph Smith actually says that a God who, if God was a trinity, he would be a giant monster. So Jesus is the firstborn spirit child. The secondborn spirit child, although it's debated if he's actually the secondborn or just a later one, is Satan, Lucifer. So Jesus and Satan are brothers and they're equally sons of the Father. Then the rest of the spirit children are just all of us, uh, the rest of humanity. So Jesus and Satan are our brothers. Uh, So there's no difference between Jesus and us. Uh, He's of the same nature as the rest of humanity. So the heavenly father and all the heavenly mothers are there uh, with all their children. And this is called the first estate, this idea of of us all pre-existing in the spiritual realm. We apparently grow to maturity there. Uh, And during this time, the father wanted his spirit children to be able to be exalted to God like him. And so he hatches a plan of salvation where the spirit children are to go to earth, become physical, right? The father's physical, so that's necessary. Uh, And then once they become physical, they can be exalted to Godhood just like the father. And an important part of this is he would give them what's called agency, which is the ability to choose right and wrong for yourself, all right, the ability to choose right and wrong for yourself. And God apparently anticipates that they're going to choose evil and they would need a savior. So he asks, who will be their savior? And Jesus volunteers. Jesus says, I'll be their savior. Lucifer, Satan, offers himself as the savior, kind of competing with Jesus and says he has a different plan where he wouldn't give man the ability to choose. Uh, Then he would just say, there's no possibility of sin. So he offers his own plan of salvation, but that plan is rejected by God and it makes Satan real upset. And so he gets jealous and rebels against God. He actually convinces several spirit children to join him in this great war in heaven, but they're defeated. They're defeated and they are cast out of this pre-existent state. They're sent to earth. Lucifer becomes Satan and Satan's followers, those spirit children that followed him become demons. And so their main punishment is that they don't get to be born in human bodies. They can't become physical and therefore they can never be exalted to Godhood. But in this great war of heaven, there's more spirit children who actually sided with God. And there's super valiant, good, good warriors in this war. And the ones who are the most valiant, uh, Mormonism teaches, they get to be born into good circumstances and privileged races. Again, a little, uh, little racy there, Mormonism. Uh, but the less valiant warriors, they get to be born in human bodies, but they are denied the ability to 
progress to godhood. They can't participate in any Mormon rituals that are necessary to progress to godhood. So they can be physical, but they can never become a god. And the way the Father, uh, the way God chose to differentiate between the valiant spirit children and the less valiant, uh, early Mormons taught that God marked them with dark skin. The less valiant warriors were marked with dark skin, which is the Mormon explanation for people of color. So for the majority of uh, their history, this is the reason why Mormons have denied people of color access to the Mormon temple and therefore access to uh, progression to becoming a god. And it's only after uh, extreme social pressure in the 1970s that again, their leader has a new revelation that God has changed his mind and now people of color can have access to the temple. So how's this restored gospel uh, working for everyone so far? Are we so glad that our holy and infinite and eternal creator has been reduced to a weak man who's just like any one of us, who only becomes God because he obeyed some laws from another God? Do we love the fact that the eternal God, the son who has always been God is now reduced to Satan's brother and who came into existence like the rest of us? Let's keep looking at this great restored gospel. So the spirit children need to be sent to earth to be born in in babies' bodies. This is called a compression and all of our memories from the pre-existent state are veiled. So that's why you don't remember any of this is it's all veiled when you were born into a baby's body. Uh, Adam was actually the archangel Michael and he was the most valiant warrior in the war of heaven. And so he gets to come to earth first and he gets sent to Jackson County, Missouri to the Garden of Eden. His fall, Adam, the fall was, was viewed as kind of a noble act. It makes man mortal, which is a necessary step to exaltation. So it's actually not that bad of a thing. And man's agency, his ability to choose right and wrong after the fall remains. So man does not have a sin nature in Mormonism. So everyone's neutral. So Mormonism is also Pelagian. So if you have your heresy bingo card, you can add that. Arianism, Pelagianism. Uh, Jesus, again, remember, is the savior of man who's chosen the wrong way. Uh, So he has to come down in the incarnation, but Mormonism teaches that Jesus' birth was as natural as ours. So it rejects the virgin birth of Jesus, and Mormonism actually teaches that he wasn't made incarnate by the Holy Spirit, but rather was naturally conceived by the Heavenly Father and Mary. Brigham Young actually taught that the God came down and had sexual relations with Mary to make the body of Jesus. Mormons who disagree with that will say, that's ridiculous. It was more like in vitro fertilization, okay? To which I respond, that's not better in any way. So it's still the father's seed naturally impregnating Mary. Jesus' earthly life is just looked at as an example. Uh, they teach his, his, his teachings provide a pattern where man and, uh, man and women can live by and they can find happiness and fulfillment in this life. So he's not, he doesn't live the perfect life on our behalf. Rather, he's just an example for us to follow. After his death and resurrection and ascension, again, he visits the Americas and preaches this restored gospel to the Nephites. So the second coming has already happened in America. Uh, Christ's atonement, Christ's work on the cross simply combines with our work uh, to help us progress to godhood. Mormonism teaches we must work to our limit, then the grace of God comes after we've expended our best efforts. In fact, Mormonism teaches that the doctrine of salvation by grace alone and belief in Christ alone for salvation originated with Satan. Forgiveness of sins is also dependent on good works. Justification by faith, Mormonism teaches, is evil. Uh, And then you must also remain worthy to keep the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't get the Holy Spirit forever. You have to stay good in order to keep the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
There are two different effects of Christ's atonement. There's this general salvation because of what Christ did on the cross where his atonement secures for all mankind uh, general salvation. This is, dependent, this is not dependent on whether you repent or not, so it's basically universalism. And then there's also an individual salvation where Jesus's atonement simply opens the door for you to progress onto Godhood. So Mormonism somehow teaches universalism and salvation by works at the same time. It's actually impressive. So again, add those to your heresy bingo card. So how are we saved? Again, remember the goal is exaltation to Godhood, just like the Father. Uh, the Mormon mantra is, is this, as man is, as man now is, God once was, as God now is, man may be. So this is not the Christian idea of sharing in fellowship with God, but rather it's becoming a God yourself, which how incredibly ironic that the very goal of salvation in Mormonism is the exact thing that Satan tempts Adam and Eve towards. You will be like God, knowing good and evil, determining good and evil for yourself. How ironic that the very thing Satan tempted Adam and Eve towards is the very goal of salvation in Mormonism. So how do we do this? How do we be exalted and become a God? Well, simply by following uh, the Mormon laws. So it's not a free gift. You do have to work for it. Uh, a person must, quote, be found worthy. It's pretty generic. Uh, they have to have faith in the Mormon Jesus. You have to believe Joseph Smith was a prophet. You have to be baptized into the Mormon church. You have to give a 10% tithe to the Mormon church. You can't have alcohol or tea or coffee or tobacco. And then you must participate in Mormon rituals. This is the big one. So Joseph Smith and in fact many of the early Mormon leaders were all Freemasons. So the majority of these uh, rituals are just directly taken from uh, Freemasonry. When you go into the temple, you go through an endowment ceremony, which is where you're washed and anointed. You're given a new secret name that you're not allowed to tell anybody. You're given temple garments, otherwise known as Mormon underwear, uh, that you're to wear under your clothes day and night to remind you of your commitment and when worn properly, it provides a protection against evil. You're taught secret passwords so that as you're ascending through the heavens, you can whisper the passwords to the angels who are guarding the way. Again, you're not allowed to tell anybody those passwords. You're taught a secret handshake that you can uh, shake hands with God to let you into the highest level of heaven. You, of course, have to take oaths of secrecy and commitment, dedicating your life and uh, possessions to the Mormon church. Uh, there's several rituals that actually Joseph Smith and Brigham Young established that were changed. One was the oath of vengeance. You were supposed to take an oath to pray that God would avenge Smith's blood by pouring out his wrath on America. Uh, that was found out and then quickly removed. And then uh, the second is a penalty oath where you would take an oath saying what would happen to you if you were ever to reveal secrets of the temple. And it's actually really graphic. It talks about having your throat cut and your heart torn out and fed to birds and things like that. So once people found that out, that was quickly <laughs> removed. Uh, you're also to get married in a Mormon temple for time, for this time, and for all eternity. Why? Because if you become a god, you're going to need a goddess wife to make uh, spirit children with. So whoever you marry in the Mormon temple, she's going to be a heavenly mother with you in the future. So in, in Mormon salvation, you need a temple, you need rituals for your salvation. You're not saved by the person and work of Christ alone. You need a temple to be saved 
You can also do this, by the way, for uh, your relatives who have died. Um, you can be baptized for the sake of the dead, things like that. Rituals for uh, relatives who haven't had a chance to hear the Mormon gospel. You can, die, or you can uh, go through these rituals on their behalf. This is why uh, most of the ancestry websites and things like that uh, are run by Mormons. It's so that Mormons can look up their ancestors and then go through these rituals on their behalf. Uh, that doesn't mean you can't use those things. It's just um, the history behind why they got started. So that is uh, salvation in Mormonism, right there, going through these temple rituals. And let me just uh, say this. Any belief, whether it's Mormonism or not, any religion that teaches that we must rise up to God or become a God in this case, fundamentally misses the point of Christianity. Fundamentally misses why Jesus came. Furthermore, it misses the goal of Christianity. Right? Our goal is not to become a God ourselves and rule over our own world. Rather, it's to share in fellowship with the one true God. Right? John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So after you die, according to Mormonism, you go to one of two places, either paradise, that's where Mormons go, valiant Mormons, or spirit prison, that's where everybody else goes. And missionaries actually in the afterlife can go down from paradise to the spirit prison to preach this restored gospel. There will one day be a resurrection, there'll be a judgment day where uh, you see where you'll go based on your faithfulness. The Mormon concept of hell is called the outer darkness. It's where Satan and his demons go. Basically, no one else goes there. Again, Mormonism is basically universalist. And then there are three levels, three kingdoms of heaven, of salvation in Mormonism, where you go based on, again, your faithfulness, not Christ's. The lowest is called the telestial kingdom. It's for liars, sorcerers, adulterers, and whoremongers, but it is still a place of indescribable glory. The middle is called the terrestrial kingdom. Uh, it's for honorable people who weren't valiant enough to get to the highest level. And then the highest level is called the celestial kingdom. That's where all Mormons want to go. It's actually divided into three levels as well. And the highest level is where you're exalted to godhood. And once you're a god, you can create your own world. Uh, your wife on earth becomes the heavenly mother. You have a bunch of spirit children with her. Originally, we were polygamous in heaven. We had several wives that became our uh, heavenly became heavenly mothers like the father, but again, that was changed after polygamy was outlawed. And then these spirit children that you create will eventually go to the earth that you created and kind of start the whole process over again. They'll become physical and then they'll try to be exalted to Godhood. So there you go, you get to be God, you get to start all over with your own planet, your own spirit children, things like that. So notice, Mormonism is the most polytheistic religion that has ever existed, far more than Hinduism. Hinduism says there are 33 million gods. Mormonism says there's countless gods, right? There's countless gods that aren't even mentioned. Remember, God had a God over him, but we're not told anything about him. And then man continually becomes gods as they're exalted. So it's the most polytheistic religion that's ever existed. And then again, notice the irony that this restored gospel of Mormonism is the very quote-unquote gospel that Satan tempted Adam and Eve towards. So when it comes to the scriptures, they deny their authority, their sufficiency, their trustworthiness. They deny uh, their clarity. They say that is, there's errors in the scriptures. They deny their necessity. They deny the Trinity. They tr uh, teach that there are three separate gods who are just many among countless gods. 
When it comes to God the Father, he's a flesh and bone man who has not always been God. He's not the infinite creator. He changes over time. He's not eternal. He didn't create out of nothing. He's not spirit. He's not all powerful or all knowing or present everywhere. Jesus isn't God. He's a created being like the rest of humanity. His life is just an example and his sacrifice isn't sufficient for salvation. You have to work for it. The spirit isn't God like the Father and the Son. He's not the seal of salvation. He's just an aid in your own efforts. He could leave you if you're not good enough. Man is of the same nature as Jesus and Satan. You're not sinful by your nature either. Salvation is just our exaltation to becoming a God, and this is through our own efforts and rituals and superstition. Again, salvation by grace is of the devil and Mormonism. And in the last things, the second coming has already happened in America. God doesn't justly judge the wicked. Basically, everyone goes to one of the levels of heaven, and salvation isn't knowing the one true God. Rather, it's becoming a God yourself. That is the restored gospel of Mormonism. So, how does this affect us? How does this affect us hearing all these things? Well, firstly, I think we follow the biblical warnings and watch out for heresy. Don't fall into the nice trap, right? Anytime Mormons are mentioned, the first thing people say, oh, they're so nice and they're so loving, right? Biblical love, first of all, doesn't exist without true doctrine. Second of all, don't allow someone's external behavior to numb you to their heresy that leads to damnation. Remember, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Secondly, don't fall into the equivocation trap, this idea that we have the same terminology. The same terminology doesn't equal the same belief. Mormons will say they, just, they believe what we believe, they just believe a little bit more. Brigham Young said, we Latter-day Saints take the liberty of believing more than our Christian brethren. We not only believe the Bible, but the whole plan of salvation that Jesus has given to us. Do we differ from our brothers who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? No, we just believe more. Notice the attempt to downplay any differences there. That's like me going to my wife and saying, I love you so much, and I want to love these other women too, right? It's not, it, there's no difference there. I just want to love more, right? That would be ridiculous. Mormonism is not Christianity plus a few other things. Mormonism, by its very nature, is an attack on the Christian faith. Remember, the Trinity is an abomination. Who Jesus is and what he has done, according to orthodoxy, is an abomination in the sight of Mormons. It's not Christianity plus a few other things. Let me say it stronger. Islam is closer to Christianity than Mormonism. Hinduism has less gods than Mormonism does. Islam is not Christianity, I mean, Mormonism is not Christianity plus a few other things. So how do we protect ourselves from heresy? First of all, you know the scriptures. Zach said last week, it's hard to see a lie if you don't know the truth. Know the truth of the scriptures. Know the warnings that the scriptures give you about false teachers. Secondly, know theology. This is why we do theological equipping in the first place, so that you would know the firm foundation of your faith, the firm foundation that you stand on. Thirdly, know church history. Know that there's nothing new under the sun. You've seen as we've gone through this, there's Arianism. We've dealt with that already. The church has dealt with that already. There's Pelagianism. The church has dealt with that already. Know what Joseph Smith means when he says all the creeds are an abomination. Know what he is denying, the Trinity, who Jesus is, things like that. Know church history, know theology, and know the scriptures 
As we close, uh, I just want to encourage you that despite what Joseph Smith teaches, the gates of hell have not prevailed against Christ's church. Why? Because God himself is the one that's protecting it. And when we hear uh, about a cult like Mormonism, we might have uh, immense discouragement that so many, 15 million, are blinded to the truth. We may be angry, right, that such a perversion of the gospel is so well received. Those aren't bad reactions. But I want to encourage you towards a third reaction, which is cherishing the true gospel. In light of hearing all these things, how beautiful is the true God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a weak and pathetic God Mormonism has. How incredible is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't just say, you work as hard as you can and then I'll make up the gap, but rather says, I know your weakness. And so I'm going to come and live the perfect life that you couldn't live and lay down my life for yours. And how unthinkably beautiful the true gospel that doesn't just say man achieve exaltation by your own effort, but rather says God himself is going to come down for you and for your salvation. And because of him and him alone, you can be saved. Not to become a God yourself, but rather to know the one true God and share in fellowship with him for all of eternity. Praise God for his true gospel. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your scriptures. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the truth. And we pray, uh, Lord, for those who don't believe it, for those who have been deceived by false teachers, those whom you have warned us about. We pray that you would shut the mouths of the false teachers, that you would open the eyes to those who have been deceived by their teaching, that they would see you, the true God, they would know the truth that it's not based on their own efforts, it's based completely by you and you alone. That salvation isn't them gaining power, it's rather them surrendering power that they might rest in the salvation that comes from you. Father, we pray for our Mormon brothers and sisters who don't know the truth, pray that you would save them. We love you. Pray in your son's holy name, amen.